Mr. Pop. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to pair Jamar Chase and Jerry Rice as your two wide receivers in fantasy football? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to start Barry Sanders and Patrick Mahomes in your fantasy football lineup? Then this is the place for you. Encore Fantasy, the only place where the fantasy stars of today face off against the legends of yesterday. There are a lot of fantasy games out there that do simulations. Encore Fantasy is taking actual games from these players' past. It's not simulating them. It's not a guess. You're actually getting a Fred Bolitnikoff game, not what Fred Bolitnikoff might have done at some point. Whether you are new to fantasy football or a better know game, we have something for you. This is the Encore Fantasy Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back. We are here for the Encore Fancy Games podcast. I'm your host, Ben Stecker, joined with Michael Michaud. I can't believe it's already been two weeks. What a journey. Excited about a couple of things. One that you probably can guess that I'm excited about. I'm also sad about a lot of things. I am also excited about many things and sad about many things. Isn't that what being a sports fan is all about? It's exactly what being a sports fan is all about. It's it's peaks and valleys, unless you're a fan of the teams I'm a fan of, in which case there's a lot of wandering in the valley. Seems like mostly valleys. It's like the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years. Says the guy who's a fan of the Yankees, Notre Dame, Duke. Duke? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Chelsea. Hey, hey, hey. I haven't had a team win. Well, I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, Chelsea's weird, right? Because they have so many trophies they can win in a season, but then there are the big ones and the little ones. Anyway. Someone was trying to explain that sport to me and I don't understand it. It's like you're excited that you won a tournament, but you're not excited that you didn't win your league, but you don't care. I don't understand. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I will say that the Yankees are my number one, so I'm still sad about it. And I was expecting to go into this fall with just a terrible Giants team. And it turns out maybe they're not terrible. They still might be, but they have a lot of wins on the board. So we'll see. I think grief is the right word. Rage would be the wrong word. So as a Broncos fan, I grieve that we are two and five because that sucks. But we also have a first time head coach, first time quarterback on a team that nobody knows each other. So you shouldn't really be enraged about that. Now, if you're the Dodgers, you should be enraged because you suck at life and you're not good at sports. Yeah, that would be rage. Appropriate. If you're, yeah, yeah. If you're a Dodgers fan, that's 100% rage. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. What's weird is the Yankees fan because they keep making the playoffs and they keep making the ALCS. But since they made the ALCS in 2017 and lost to the Astros, they lost in seven that year. Then they lost in six in 2019. And this year they got swept. So they're kind of going in the wrong direction. And also we could have a long debate about roster construction. But anyway, it's more grief for the Yankees than rage. If you're a Dodgers fan, it's rage. If you're a Broncos fan, it should be grief. You know, this is a, this is an interesting dichotomy in, in the world of sports. Maybe maybe we'll get into it. Is fantasy rage or grief? I think it's grief. Fantasy is so, so random that it's got to just be grief. I think it depends on what type of fantasy you're playing and how much money you have on the line and what call the referee just made. <laughs> yeah. I think those are the factors. Super important inputs into this equation. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> But anyway, we'll get into all that as well as a few other things. Nice to be able to touch on a little bit of uh, playoff baseball in there for all of you baseball fans who are tuning in. Fun announcement to get to before we move on. We are on the verge of putting out our beta version of our mobile form of Encore Fantasy Games, which will be available on our app. We'll make that announcement when it comes out for sure. But keep an eye out for that. It has only been available on desktop, which if you're old like me is great. If you're young like somebody young, it's maybe not so great. You're young like somebody young. Well said. I've heard some people be like, I'd love to have this on my phone. That's happening. As they say, soon it will be football on your phone. Those were great commercials. 
We had a lot of interesting things over the last two weeks happen. A lot of frustrating things over the last two weeks happen. But we'll go ahead and start our look back. Mish, any performances from the players of the last two weeks leap out and catch your attention? Yes. This will not be surprising because he's a very popular player, but we saw a full-on Barry Sanders performance in week six. He was the top scorer in week six. He put up 42 points and he's got a high projected number of 18. His delta was just under 24. If you've been on the Barry Sanders train and trusting it and waiting for it, it finally paid off for you. We had a true legendary performance from Barry Sanders himself. He is our legendary performance. We saw that ultimate Barry Sanders game. 185 yards, three rushing touchdowns, Downs. He had a catch for 44 yards, the whole ball of wax, the BOW here. That was the September 13th, 1998 game for Barry against the Cincinnati Bengals in classically a Lions loss because they just did that a lot, even with Barry Sanders. 26 carries, 185 yards, three touchdowns, one catch for 44 yards. That is a pretty solid legendary performance right there. It is. And I think the legend goes beyond just that game, though. It's last year of his career, 1998. Barry Sanders had 1,491 rushing yards in the last year of his career. 37 catches, 289 yards, four touchdowns. He never had a bad season. No, but at least in terms of yards. But the fact that he only had four touchdowns in this season and three of them came in this one game, that's kind of crazy. Considering how many carries he did have and how many yards he did have, he averaged about 20 plus carries a game. Barry Sanders is so good that you could pick him even in the last season of his career. He's not scoring many touchdowns and he's still going to get you a ton of points because he had a ton of catches and he just racked up the yards. That is spot on. Correct. I love me some Barry Sanders. Huge performance for him. That is definitely our legendary performance of the last two weeks. Uh, there's not a ton of massive high scoring performances that popped up. One that I found interesting that popped up on the radar. So name I don't think we've heard yet, which is Mr. Roger Craig. No, I was going to say that too. We have not seen Roger Craig pop up. Yeah. uh, Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. You got to know your football to know Roger Craig, but if you're a 49ers fan, you know who he is. Obviously, he was on all those great teams. He also is a little bit of a risky gambler. The back end of his career, he had a lot of games he was just a role player in. Yeah. But... Here we go with this one where Roger Craig pops in and he had two catches, eight yards and a touchdown, 87 rushing yards and two touchdowns, three touchdowns for Roger Craig. He was not a contributor to the winning roster that week, but he was on a team that lost by 0.4 points. So that was an interesting one in week seven. The winner had 147.14 and the second place was 147.1. Now, this is something we'll talk about later, too, because the winner had no historical players. And the second place team was over 50% historical players. It was very close. But Roger Craig's game was November 27th, 1988. He had a good year. 1,500 yards rushing, nine touchdowns. It's actually his best year. November 27th, 1988. Against the Chargers. 48-10 win for the 49ers that day. Also, the year that they beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Big year for the 49ers. Yep. So a lot of people will remember. Yeah, that. he uh, that was the year. That was the other Craig won uh offensive player of the year. Came in third in the MVP voting, but won offensive player of the year because he had two over two thousand yards from scrimmage. The MVP, if you were curious, was Boomer Esiason. He had 28 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. And that was the MVP. Oh. That's not generally what you see from MVP quarterbacks anymore, but it was not, the 80s. Yeah, 80s, you did not have good quarterback play. Roger Craig's career. He had some good games, but he had a lot of games that could have bit you in the rear end, but it paid off. 
It was 15.4 points above his projected score, 14.7. So he was at 29.5. Huge payoff there because a 14-point projection for a running back in our scheme gives you a lot of extra points to work with elsewhere. Absolutely. The other person that I was also thinking about is the guy right above him on the scoring chart from that week, Dominic Williams, who keeps popping up. Clearly, people who are picking Dominic Williams know what they're doing because that's a guy who, again, Really short career with the Texans, really good. I don't want to say loaded dice, but kind of loaded dice in the sense that you have a much greater chance of having a sick game from Dominic Williams than you might Roger Craig. Now, this is highlighting the fact that his projection is 19 points. His delta was only 12 points. So Craig was better from a delta perspective. A 12-point delta off of a 19-point projection is pretty darn good. He was one of those original did-everything guys. I mean, in this game, he had seven catches, 52 yards, 129 rushing yards, and a touchdown. He could carry the ball, but he also caught a lot of the backfield. And that gives him big old power in our PPR rankings here. Great historical high floor guy. He's similar to a guy in week six that popped up, William Andrews. William Andrews has got a high floor and his delta is never going to be too extreme, but he checks in at a 15.79 projection. And in week six, he had 21.2. He was had a very short career, had a lot of games where he produced. He had only one year where he was sub 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Those are key players in these formats. Yeah. And the guy right below him, Gail Sayers, average 15.16, had a delta of 5.8 for 21 points. This is in week six. So the same kind of thing. You're picking guys who were playing the average game here and looking for a boom performance and you're going to get more booms than busts from someone like Gail Sayers or William Andrews or Dominic Williams or Barry Sanders because his career was shorter and just productive all the way across the board. A lot of great historical hits there. We've talked about it a lot before, but there's also value to be had in the live current side and one guy oh, yeah. that popped up twice, our buddy Kenneth Walker the third. Kenneth Walker! Both weeks got picked Woo! and he both weeks double digit over his delta. Back to back big games last two weeks. October 16th, week six. 97 rushing yards, one touchdown, two catches for 13 yards. And then this past week, 168 yards rushing, two touchdowns. two touchdowns. Yeah, no catches. If you watched him play, his cuts are ridiculous. He can move. He's fast. I think he hit about 43.4 miles per hour on that 75-yard touchdown run. I'm not a scientist, but if he were running through D.C., he's definitely got to stop for speeding. If D.C. had police, then that would happen. Well, they have police cameras. So he get dinged by a camera but certainly not an officer. Yes, we're sending a ticket to license plate number nine. Number nine <laughs> with the cleats on. <laughs> Wild scene. <laughs> Kenneth Walker there. That's a great one. He's primed for a big rest of the season. Another guy that's had a good couple of weeks and has steadily grown his pace, Travis Etienne. He started to take over in week six. Last week, he took over as the real workhorse. <laughs> I think he had 114 rushing yards and a touchdown. And James Robinson basically didn't touch the ball. And then James Robinson got fired from the Jaguars. Which well, you got to do to get fired traded. from the Jaguars? Mm, no, fired. no, he traded from the Jaguars. Fired from the Jaguars because he went to the only place that might be less desirable, which is the Jets. And I don't care if they're five and two. That team is stinky cheese. Uh, okay, maybe. But I think it's harsh to say he got fired. A lot of people were thinking that coming into this season, that was going to be a true split backfield. And clearly, Etienne has just been grabbing hold of it, which is why they dumped Robinson. Etienne, he's strong and he's fast. That's a good combination when you're an NFL running back. That's why you might even be a little bit more worried about Walker, because if Etienne was able to make those runs against the Giants, you got to wonder what Mr. Walker might be looking to do. Or I'm worried about the Geno Smith revenge game. That's what I also could be worried about. Because as everyone remembers, he was the one who ended Eli Manning's long streak of consecutive starts under Ben McAdoo. Geno Smith was the quarterback who ended Eli Manning's. At the time, it was the longest active streak of consecutive starts at quarterback. And then they put Geno Smith in. 
the year is 2025. You have $100 to bet right now. The Seahawks have extended Geno Smith with a seven-year, $450 million contract, all guaranteed. <laughs> Who is hoisting the Lombardi Trophy out of two teams? Russell Wilson and the Broncos or Geno Smith and the Seahawks? I mean, probably the Broncos. <laughs> Geno Smith is, is better than people think. He gets a lot of crap, but I don't know if I would go that far. I'm not putting $100 down on that. I'm going to walk away from any Geno Smith conversation because it's possible I might compliment him, and I don't want that on the public record. So there it is. we're going to move on. Patrick Mahomes. You can never go wrong with Patrick Mahomes. Ooh. Here's a stat I want to throw at you. Over the last three weeks, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson have started eight games. They have thrown five combined touchdown passes, one to a wide receiver. They've averaged 13.8 points per game on offense combined. Geno Smith has the same number of passing touchdowns over his last three starts as all three of those guys combined. The NFL as a whole has 15 teams that are averaging one or fewer passing touchdowns a game. In the last three years, that number has been four, five, and five. The NFL offenses are depleted right now, but Patrick Mahomes goes out and does his job. Yeah, that is incredible. Are the injuries higher this year than normal? I know the Giants have no wide receivers at the moment, but is that true across the league? Is that why all these games stink? I got to be honest. I'm not that interested in watching any of these primetime games. There's been a lot of dud games. Offense has been, even when points have been scored, they've been weird. The Falcons score 47 points and Marcus Mariota has like, a touchdown. I don't know how they do it, but uh, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, he was on the bench on one of my teams, and I saw they scored all these points. And I looked at him, and he scored 14, and he had a touchdown. What were they doing the rest of the time? How did this happen? Jared Goff can't complete a pass yet. He threw like 47 touchdowns in the first three games in current day NFL. The first eight weeks of a season are oftentimes completely different than the last eight games of a season for many teams. Because for some reason these days, it just takes longer for teams to get into a game. One team that I'm looking at the back half for, and a lot of people are selling players on this team, and I'm buying up players on this team, the LA Rams. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, but... I agree with you on that. You you saw you saw a little life out of Allen Robinson right before they went on their bye. Then they go on their bye, and they're coming out of that this week. And... You've got players on that team, and that's a veteran squad. And even though I think Matt Stafford threw six touchdowns and eight interceptions in the first seven, six games of the season, don't be surprised if he comes out and puts together a string of multi-touchdown games. Also, they had this early bye, right? Um, they did. A bye in week seven. They just had the bye. So that's an example of like, okay, we're scuttling along. Let's use our bye week to, you know, you know, get back to where we we know we can be. And I think you're right about that. The Rams are great. And nobody loves jumping on teams that are supposed to be good when they struggle, like the United States, like United States sports fans and sports writers. They love that, which is why we're seeing all these, you know, eulogies for Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And Hey, listen, at some point, they are probably going to be bad. I don't know if I buy it being this year, but those are also two teams where I'm like, Brady's know. one Brady's one. He's a pop gun these days. He, he he's like, a he's like, I don't know. He's like Jason Williams in the back part of his career. He still can distribute if the other shooters are there, but you better hope he's got some players with him. Uh, he does have some players with him. He does. He does. Especially, you know, Mike Evans, who can catch wide open balls on a full sprint down the middle of the field with nobody around him. 
not. That hurt. I could have gotten more of the skin in the fantasy league we're in if Mike if Mike Evans had caught that ball. There we go. So that's a I mean, that's a pretty good look back on on a lot of what's gone on, a lot of what's happened over the last couple of weeks. It's a really interesting time in the current NFL. A lot of turnover, a lot of guys are finding themselves. A lot of running backs are coming out and establishing themselves now. If you've got Damian Pierce, Travis Etienne, Kenneth Walker are guys that you're glad to have. Josh Jacobs. Out of nowhere, everyone thought he was dead. I I, I remember being jazzed leading up to drafts, being like, why, are every, why is everyone down on Josh Jacobs? Maybe I should pick him. And then, of course, I never did. And now, apparently, Josh Jacobs is back being the guy. And they're not passing as much, even though they have Devontae Adams. And normally, they have Waller, but he's hurt. And Hunter Renfro and all these things. But yeah, it's, it's wild. There's some guys that are really establishing themselves. Now, again, who knows what will happen in the back half of the season. But in the front Nobody. half of the season... There's some guys that look poised to go to go deep in the year. A lot of injuries, though. It seems like we're losing good players all the time. Brees Hall that just sucks. went down. Christian McCaffrey got traded to the 49ers. RIP Christian McCaffrey. Oh, wait, that's not right. He's probably no, going he's... to be a lot better there. Actually, actually, that has given me a thought of a player to look forward to later. So, Oh, there we go. I'm glad I could talk you into looking forward to the no, best player I was in football. Already... No, 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 not him. He's not the choice. No, it's a, like a, a secondary, tertiary externality of him going to the 49ers. Does his name rhyme with Fames Perpopolo? No, actually, it doesn't. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get to that. Then. No, I'm not picking <laughs> Jimmy G. I have all these other quarterbacks on here. I'd rather have your boy Interceptions McGee, John Elway. But no. why would you? John Elway popped up again in the last year. He did. Two weeks. I did. I know I had to say it, but he did. Your boy, John Elway, again, this uh, week six. Yeah, he put up 26 points. Uh, with 298 passing yards and a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown and no interceptions. It's shocking. Uh, he doesn't throw interceptions ever. Oh, right. Sorry. That's We've what we gone through this night. now. He's only that one game that we talked about two weeks ago where he threw an interception. That was the only interception he ever threw in his career. But anyway, a lot of a lot of fun things to look back on. A lot of a lot of cool things that are happening there. Big thing as we move into the olds v youngs. Olds v old wide receivers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's Two weeks ago, Ben was singing the praises of old wide receivers. We came up with a song about Ben always just riding old wide receivers. Legendary, sorry, we shouldn't say old. Legendary wide receivers to the gates of hell. And holy cow, it kind of worked. Well, no, it did. It did work. It, it worked. Work. Slight caveat uh, in that our our lovely buddy who uh, who picked legendary receivers when he won, none other than the great Sawyer Rubin, one of our partners and our famed developer extraordinaire here. That's right. He did pick Des Bryant, who had a magical 34 points for him when he won two weeks ago in week six. Mm -hmm. uh, he also picked Lance Allworth, who had a legendary zero points for him. Boop, boop, a doop. Uh... <laughs> But uh, so, so yeah, maybe it wasn't all on the backs of the legendary receivers, but he picked two legendary wide receivers and they paid off the olds at the receiver position coming up big and it's only going to get better. It wasn't just Des Bryant who had a big week. He was the third highest scorer in week six, but also Randy Moss was in the top 10 and Tim yeah. Brown was right there. And uh, let's see, uh, Mike Wallace had a solid game. And then Larry Fitzgerald had a, he was okay. But every week we see generally a pretty strong split between olds versus youngs at the top of the standings in terms of overall points scored. It always seems to be that there's a good mix of both active players and legendary players. And over the last couple of weeks, the wide receivers have been showing up a little bit more legendary wide receivers. I mean, overall, it seems to still be a pretty even split of teams that have won the pools. They've tended to have a little heavier youngs. Yes roster 
That's true. We go we we go back to I think we talked about this in the last podcast. Part of that is the current structure of the game in that you're allowed to have some guys that maybe are projected for a little higher points so you don't have to go and get some of those guys that we've talked about on the historical side that have lower projections and higher floors. You're able to go after guys that are more dependable in the current game, you know, guys like Jonathan Taylor. Tell me how you really feel. I think that's opened the door, but if if we're looking at it, and we'll be adjusting that as time goes on, but if we're looking at it, there's still a lot of old players that are checking in here and doing well. Contributing, okay, the top guys, Chase, Jacobs, Lately, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. Okay, these guys are always going to be at the top, but you can't pick all those guys on your team. The point system doesn't work that way, the budget that we use. And to be honest, the legendary players are performing just as well as the active players. Again, we pointed out some guys that, that keep coming up. Dominic Williams and Barry popped up and had a great week. You know, John Elway's been up there pretty often lately. Drew Brees is on there, had a bad week, but, you know, possibility. And, you know, Jerome Bettis and Ray Rice. Like, these guys are all scoring correspondingly similar totals as the active players. So, you know, there are some guys that seem like no-brainers from an active perspective. And then from a historical perspective, you can make smart picks and be right there. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing. I mean, when you're looking at let's 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 take wide receiver, because I do love it when the when the olds come up in the wide receiver set. Not a ton of guys are having positive deltas. A lot of underperformances at that position for what the projections are. Not huge underperformances, but two, three, four, five points. Of the guys that are overperforming, the majority of them are historical players. Calvin Johnson, Jerry Rice. Before that, you had Randy Moss, Tim Brown, Des Bryant, Mike Wallace. A lot more guys that are old were definitely overperforming their delta there. I don't know if that's a trend yet, but what that tells me is, is that there's a lot more volatility on the young side. Yeah, I was thinking that earlier. Yeah, absolutely. But the youngs probably have been winning the day overall in the pools through seven weeks. Yeah, I think also part of that is just because the NFL today is more higher scoring. There are just more points scored on average in NFL games today. I know we were talking about some of the NFL has been poopy this year, but in general, on average, there are more points scored in NFL games today than there were in the past. As a guy who's watched a lot of Broncos game, I beg to differ. <laughs> That's a good point. You have seen some pretty crappy games. Well, those are the <laughs> games that are dragging the NFL average down. Without those games, it would be even higher and Tom Brady's games and Aaron Rodgers right, games. And Tom Brady's games. Yeah. This year is a little weird. So maybe the points are even lower, but the guys who are scoring are scoring a lot. If you pick a guy on the bills or the chiefs, you're probably going to have a pretty good game. Half the league averages about 25 points per game in any given NFL year. And this year there's six teams at over 25 points a game. If you could transplant some of the old offensive linemen from some of these offenses to today's offensive line, you might finally get some offense back because I don't think offensive linemen exist anymore that can block these absurd six foot 13 run for 440s, weigh 260 pound defensive edge guys who come around the corner. And as long as they don't tackle the quarterback and get roughing the passer, get sacks all the time. That's a trend. We saw several years ago when the NFL really accentuated defensive back penalties. It got to a point where receivers were almost too athletic to cover legally. But cornerbacks have adjusted and now they've gotten a little bit better. And I think we're seeing the beginning of that with defensive linemen. Kayvon Thibodeau of the Giants ran down from the weak side, Travis Etienne, 35 yards down the field yesterday. He just sprinted after but him like that is a defensive lineman. Misha's only been waiting since the beginning of the show. Put that little tidbit into this one. I'm proud of his hustle. <laughs> but I, I think you're right. And maybe there'll be a, a reaction to that as teams try and figure it out because that also obviously makes it easier to cover because you don't have to blitz people if you want to get to the quarterback. You just have these guys bull rush. That's how the Giants won two Super Bowls doing that. 
it is interesting. These things just kind of oscillate back and forth as the league reacts and then re-reacts and then re-re-re-reacts, readapt, act, whatever Michael Scott says. Adapt, readapt, react, react, apt, <laughs> apt. <laughs> Oh, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, we, we, you know, we talk about trends. We try to talk about it every week. There's not always new things to look at. One that continues to surface, the historical tight ends. Love them. Big old Gronk, Tony G. We had a little bit of Vernon Davis, the old VD popping in with some nice positive deltas. The only time you want VD to pop in with positive deltas is in encore fantasy football. That's true. Yeah. Big old, big old games there. You had one game from Antonio Gates. It was an outlier where I think he got hurt. You got Gronk popping off a 31.3 point game. Tony G at 28.9. And the next closest tight end game over the last two weeks is 21 points. And it was, hey, little Kittle, Cow jumped over the moon there. But George Kittle finally showed up, got out of blocking purgatory in San Francisco for six catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown last week. But yeah, it's been historical tight ends. That trend continues to hold. It's undeniable. It's pretty wild that, yeah, that is that is a consistent trend. We talked about earlier with Barry Sanders and legendary performance. There are a couple active running backs that stick out. But the options from a historical running back perspective are better. You look at last week and it's six out of the top 10 there. Six out of the top 11 there are all historical. Five out of the top eight are historical. Yeah. We got a Jerome Bettis. Look at Ray, Ray Rice. Rice. Yeah. Ray Rice. Everyone kind of forgets because of all the other stuff. That was very unfortunate. But that dude was good. Timely in conjunction with some trades that have been compared to historical. A little Herschel Walker sighting there, too. Yeah, Herschel Walker, famous in modern times for many other things besides football, but still can show up on your roster and put up some points. 110 rushing yards, four catches for 25. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, five catches for 34 yards, 33 yards rushing, and a touchdown for 17.7 points. Icky Woods had a decent Icky game. Woods. Fred Taylor was about average. It's fun to go back and find these guys. We talked about Emerson Boozer who yeah. did better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in week six, but it's just fun. That's part of the game is building your team out from those guys. I've been trying to have a little fun with some of the guys that I've been picking, and I've definitely been burned by that in my hunt for historical wide receivers that should be awesome. I tried to run <laughs> the Charlie Hennigan wagon, and I, I just got absolutely smoked on that one. 16.7 projected points, and I got 2.6. Like, what, what the heck, Charlie? You can't even spell your name right. EY. What Charlie is an EY? Maybe he's British. Charlie. Char- Charlie. That's part of the fun. Ride these trends. Ben's is historical tight ends. Mine's historical running backs. And we talked earlier about how active wide receivers are the way to go. I'm going to prove it wrong. Ben's going to keep trying to prove it wrong. But the point that I also mentioned earlier that's still true is that you have to assemble your roster within the structure that we've established. And that means you're going to have to get creative, whether that's creative with active players or creative with historical players. And Ben and I find it fun to get creative with historical players. It's clearly more fun. One more trend. It's just undeniable and it is perhaps the most specific trend that could ever exist no matter what format you're playing no matter where you're playing you're starting josh allen and patrick mahomes yes picking either josh allen or patrick mahomes the nfl is weird but one thing that's not weird is the bills and chiefs are really good i will before the year is out prove that historical wide receivers are superior to today's prima donnas ben's on a mission as michael irvin wasn't a prima donna If we were having a who can yell the loudest into a microphone competition between wide receivers, then yes, Mike Irwin would be in contention there. Number one. Let's take a look ahead. I hinted at this guy earlier because it's a little silly, but it's a cheap quarterback play going back to the 80s and a fun name from the history books. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals. 
His name is Neil Lomax. I know the name Neil Lomax. I know that name, but tell Neil us Lomax more. is one of those fun guys who ran the ball a little bit, so he had some rushing touch and all that stuff. But he was throwing three thousand yards and twenty plus touchdowns back in the early eighties. He had a season where he threw. 4,614 yards and 28 touchdowns in 1984. That's silly nonsense for 1984. 4,614 yards and 28 touchdowns for Mr. Lomax. Now, I think he's got a pretty safe floor. His ceiling's got some really interesting ones just from a pure weird perspective. So in that 1984 season, the last game of the season, he's here for 468 yards in a game with two touchdowns and he ran in a touchdown too. That's some Joe Burrow stuff right there. Neil Lomax is a guy like he's got a projected of 13 points and he's got a lot of games where he was solid. And if you want a solid floor from a quarterback to go out and spend some pennies on historical wide receivers, then (laughs) you might take a look at Mr. Lomax. Not a bad choice. I like it. The person I hinted at earlier related to the Christian McCaffrey trade and you mentioned him as uh, finally having a good week. And while it does buck your idea of historical tight ends. I'm going to go with George Kittle because he's been released from blocking purgatory, but also with the addition of Christian McCaffrey, I think that makes Kittle the third most dangerous weapon on that 49ers team after Debo and Christian McCaffrey. And so Kittle is primed to have a good couple weeks. I really am high on George Kittle going forward as the 49ers figure out their new offensive shape with the addition of Christian McCaffrey. Kittle's due for a little breakout there. And I wonder if they don't need him to block as much because defenses will have to drop a few more guys back to cover. The 49ers have built an offense that is designed to thrive in the middle and underneath route area, which is where Jimmy G shines. And that's where George Kittle is. That's where George Kittle is. That's where Ayuk is. That's where Debo is. And that's where McCaffrey can get out of the backfield. And so when you've got those four guys moving around, you can't send as many guys, which allows Kittle to release off the line because he does have to stay in and help protect. I think Kittle's primed to get back this form that he had before. I also have a legendary player, and I don't think we've seen him this year. Jim Kelly... Hmm. I like a little Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly ran a pretty dynamic offense in the late 80s and early 90s for a very good Bills team that could never quite get over that hill. But he had a high completion percentage. He led the league in touchdowns in 1991. He threw for over 3,000 yards eight times in his career. He did have a few interceptions, but Jim Kelly is a quarterback from the late 80s, early 90s that I would kind of ride with. So I'm you're going to go with Neil Lomax. I'm going to go with Jim Kelly. I like that. Jim Kelly used to throw to the original Wes Welker, Don Beebe, the OG Welker, as they say, plus a couple other guys, Andre Reed, Thurman Thomas had a backfield. Thurman Thomas is another name that doesn't get as much respect as it should get. That Bill's offense had some players and Jim Kelly was certainly a fun one. Seven career rushing touchdowns too. Yeah. And on that team, Thurman Thomas had 472 catches as a running back. That was a lot for that time. It was a freaking ton for that time. He was catching 60 balls a year in 89 and 91. And that was while he was rushing for 1200 plus yards and five plus touchdowns. He led the league in total scrimmage yards four years in a row, 89, 90, 91, and 92. And two of those were over 2,000. With a little MVP win there too, right? Holy Toledo. Yeah. In in 1991. I think this week, my team is going to look very early. (laughs) A little little pills heavy. Listen, Thurman Thomas, the end of his career, his last four years were pretty bad. Fell off a cliff. But from 1989 to 1996, he was over 1,000 yards rushing every year. Yeah. Pretty fun one there. A couple of current guys that I like to look at. You're going to like one of them. Daniel Jones. 
goes against my love for historical wide receivers. Wandale Robinson oh, is starting to that's right. I know. It's very exciting. Mr. Mr. Slotman for the Gigantes of New York. He had six targets two weeks ago coming off of injury. Eight targets this last week. Six catches, 50 yards, something like that. He is clearly a focal point of that offense when they need to move yeah. the chains. It's only going to get better for him as that team gets a little bit healthier, as that team moves a little bit more. Wandale is really dynamic. He's fast and basically uncoverable. He's as talented as Jalen Waddle. That would be the comp I would have as a guy who can pile up catches that way. The thing about Wandale and Daniel Jones is the Giants are going to start trusting Daniel Jones to throw the ball down the field. And I think that opens up space underneath for Wandale Robinson, one and two. It also creates downfield opportunities for Wandale Robinson. And as teams key on Saquon more and more, which they're going to because he's clearly the Giants' best offensive player, Daniel Jones is dying for a wide receiver who can catch the ball. And he just lost Bellinger. And I think Wandale Robinson is going to fill that. It's interesting. The Giants in week one, they used a one back three wide receiver set and they really toned it back after they realized they had no wide receivers. So that's been trending down. But I think now that we see Wandale show up and we see Richie James serve a purpose, I think we'll see that more. And I think Wandale Robinson is definitely a good shout for a guy who is primed for a lot more targets. Serious question. And you know that I've defended it since he was picked. Are we seeing the arrival of Daniel Jones? I'm sorry, Daniel Michael Vick Jones. (laughs) The running thing is clearly something that previous regimes should have taken advantage of more and they didn't. But the weird thing was with like Jason Garrett and Joe Judge and everything is they also didn't unleash him passing the ball. He basically just stood back there and got rid of it for four yards every time and never threw the ball down the field. But they also didn't really open it up for him to run. This is how he should be used. Is he worth the sixth pick in the draft? No. Definitely not. People ask me, oh, is Daniel Jones the guy? I don't know. He's never had any skill position players. Everyone's always been hurt and he was being held back by terrible coaching. Now we see him with good coaching. It's possible that he could be the real deal. I, I don't know. I'm I'm wary because he's on the Giants and you know who knows he, with them, but... He's not putting up Gotti numbers for sure, but he no, is no, he's, no, no, he's managing not. that offense, but he does Correct. make plays when you need him to make plays, whether it's with his feet or with the ball in his hands. And those turnovers are down this year so far. It's a very interesting one to me. I've always been high on Daniel Jones, even on the draft. The thing about Daniel Jones is I wasn't necessarily mad about the pick. I was mad that the Giants picked him sixth and were like, well, if we hadn't picked him at six, someone was going to take him before that. Like, no, they weren't. You were the only team that rated him. That was my problem with Daniel Jones, not taking a flyer. I was fine with that. It was more where they picked him. And then he's been handcuffed by really bad coaching and bad personnel for all of his career thus far. So it's kind of cool to see him put in a situation where he can succeed, where they're really tapping into the best parts of his skill set. I think this is a really interesting thing that NFL fans don't grasp. It takes time. If the Seahawks hadn't waited for eight years for Geno Smith to develop, we might never know how good he is. <laughs> it takes it takes time to develop these guys. Obviously, a little facetiousness there, but you have to be That's patient. Funny. I'm sitting here staring down the barrel of a bunch of Broncos fans that are jumping ship and burning everything to the ground after seven games because it doesn't look good. But these things take time. You just have to be patient in the quarterbacks. And we have somehow morphed into this NFL where if there isn't results in the first five games off with their head. I struggle with this. It takes time and sometimes you lose games and everyone is like, no, it needs to be this immediately. And it's like, no, it can't. I'm sorry. You can point at guys where it does work, but even Josh Allen took three years to get where he is now. And that was with a consistent system. Daniel Jones has had five different offensive coordinators in his NFL career. That's really hard. 
Russell Wilson with a new head coach is trying to figure everything out. Even Tom Brady, everyone likes to point out he won a Super Bowl. He was not no, good. At the he start wasn't. Of the year. He wasn't really that good in his second year. I mean, he had 28 touchdowns, which actually led the year in 2000, led to the league in 2002, but they were nine and seven. So it's not like he was lighting up the world necessarily. It does take time. Even with the best, it takes time. Aaron Rodgers sat on a bench for three years. And even then, when he started, there was a learning curve. So I think people are very much just obsessed with immediate gratification. Sorry, that's not how it works. It's the thing, but nobody wants to hear patience. But if you're looking at your team, you got to have perspective. But two more current players I want to get to. One, a little bit of a homer pick for me, Greg Dulcich. Greg Dulcich mm-hmm. has come in in the Broncos and looks every bit the playmaker tight end. He had three catches with a long touchdown with Russell Wilson and then followed up with nine targets and six catches with the future Hall of Famer Brett Rippon at quarterback against the Jets. My eyes just fell out of my head. I was rolling them so hard. I call him Hayden Hurst all the time because they look identical. But Greg Dulcich is the name that you want to keep in the back of your head. White tight ends, baby. They all look the same. Long hair. Robert Tonyans. But yeah, that's a guy you want to toss on. A uh, large white tight end that does not look like those guys, but is probably better than all of them. Pat Fairmuth. Pittsburgh loves their tight ends. He had nine targets, seven catches for 85 yards, two catches against Buffalo and got hurt with a concussion, missed the next week. And then he came back in his first game back, nine targets, eight catches, 75 yards. This guy is a target machine. And that's with Kenny Pickett. Kenny loves to throw the ball around and he has a safety blanket. Those are two guys that in in all of your DFS, you could plug and play in your regular fantasy lines. You can plug and play and here at Encore Fantasy Football. Those are good shouts. Firemuth, definitely. The guy is looking strong. He is absolutely looking strong. It's pretty wild. Our Our gambling picks. Our gambling picks. Which we are not recommending. Do your own research and put your own money out there. The last time we made our picks, one Michael Michaud did pick the Rams minus 10 and a half against the Panthers. Yeah. And the Rams did win 24 to 10. Yeah, Not a bad pick. I also threw out New England money line on the road at Cleveland as, oh. they were, because they were plus 130 and they won by 23 points. We were two for two last week. We did pretty good. Oh, got one this week. We got one. I got one. The Dolphins at the Detroit Dolphins. minus three and a half. I almost picked the other side of that as oh. my pick. <laughs> so I'm very so, curious so to hear what? your rationale on this one. I know Tua almost threw about five interceptions on Sunday night and five of them were in two hands of a defensive back and they dropped him. Obviously, he was a little rusty coming back from his injury and I still think the Dolphins have so many weapons and I think they look more together as a team than the Lions do. No one knows what the, what's happening with the Lions except for the fact that they stink and I wouldn't trust Jared Goff to hit water falling out of a boat. So I know that the Dolphins are a little shaky, but it's three and a half. And I think they win by a touchdown. The only reason I'm not putting my money down in the Lions money line to win this game is this has Jared Goff 450 passing yards, four touchdowns written all over it as a ridiculous NFL upside down one and five beats four and three game. No doubt. But totally, totally. They committed to your pick. I'm committing to it. I'm just saying that Dolphins minus three and a half. I like it. I like it. I love picking underdogs with the addition of Christian McCaffrey. The 49ers are hot. I'm taking a page out of your book and I'm picking the Rams. I'm taking the Rams at plus 100 at home against the 49ers. Here's my thing. The Rams are a veteran team. Their offensive line is, is, is stinky Swiss cheese and couldn't block a paper bag, but they've had a week to get healthy. Stafford started connecting with Allen Robinson, which is dangerous for everybody. They still got Higby. They still got Cup. They have some guy they picked up off the street to play running back, unless Kieran Williams comes off the IR. Keep that name in the back of your head. Kieran Williams, yeah, he's good. 
Yeah, so he's expected to get a big chunk when he comes off. They did designate a return. I'm not sure if he'd be back for this game. But I like the Rams to come out and reestablish themselves in this game at home against a division rival for no other reason than the fact that I think there's emotion there. And I'm not betting against Sean McVay after he's had two weeks to prep for a game. That is the biggest point of why I would agree with you. Also, let's just think about 49ers fans who get so jazzed because they got Christian McCaffrey and then they got stomped at home by the Chiefs and now they're going to go on the road and, I don't know, probably lose. Here's a question for you. I look at the spread and it is Rams plus one and a half. How many points is Christian McCaffrey worth there? Like three? Without Christian McCaffrey, would it be Rams minus two and a half? I think it would be Pickham or it would be Rams minus one and a half. Or he's worth at least a couple points. I do think that that did move the needle for them. But here's the other part of that. And the reason why I'm even more in the Rams, 49ers just got shredded by Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they couldn't stop a pass. They were getting beat for 311 yards by Marquez Valdez Scantling, who hasn't been heard of since no. back in the Legends days in the 80s that we were just talking about. They have some questions on defense, and now they got to go on the road to a rested Rams team, which means that I'm completely wrong, and they're going to beat the Rams by 37 points, but I'm taking the Rams plus 100 as a home underdog. Put it in the books. Okay. I like it. It's a good choice. Strong. We'll be back in two weeks. Keep your eyes open. We're going to be trying to roll out the app for some beta testing, which will be great. Yeah. yeah. A lot of fun things. A lot of fun. Get out there. Play the game. It's a really good time. And guess what? If you have a bad week, that's okay. Just come back and play a different week and you get a fresh start. It's great. And injuries never last more than a week in our leagues. It's fantastic. So with all the guys that are dropping out there, you don't have to worry about that. You can just start that guy all over again next week. Start him all over again. Exactly. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to go to our website, www.encorefan.com play in our leagues and don't forget to follow us on twitter our twitter feed is objectively hilarious it is at encore fantasy and on instagram at, at encore fantasy games follow us we always have a good stuff going on there and all the latest updates when our mobile version launches that's where you will hear about it first check it out thanks for joining <laughs> us on the podcast this episode is history Little VD popping in. The only time you want VD to pop in with positive delsas is in Encore Fantasy Football. I disagree strongly, sir. You're itching me where I scratch. I did feel things. All right, never do that again. Mm-hmm.